Firstly, I just want to say it's such a great privilege to, um, to be sharing the Word of God with you this morning. Is that me or is that someone's phone ringing? Um, so this is, I like to think this is Pierre's pulpit. If you ever come to church and it's, it's a cedarwood pulpit overlaid with gold and there's ivory, then you know you're in the wrong place. We don't really do church like that here. But it's a, such a great privilege to, to preach from Pierre's pulpit, he's such a great preacher. Last week's word was so special. I listened to it twice. Um, but it's also it's so special to, to be given the task of sharing the word of God and to be used by God. It's, uh, that, that's such a treat. But I also wanted to say that this is a safe place to be sharing, to be talking to family. Um, so as I look out across friendly, supportive faces, it's, just, it's a treat. It's a real joy. To, to be with you guys this morning and to share. And what wonderful worship. Helena, thank you so much for leading. Alika's home, like with tonsillitis or like recovering from having her tonsils out. And Helena's up there just leading worship in such a magnificent way. So thank you. And Lord, we pray your blessing upon Alika that she would be healed and well and healthy soon, soon, soon. And talking again. <laughs> and eating. So, and I also wanted to say, you know, Jesus told the parable about the, um, uh, the sower and the seed, and that there are, some of the seed gets sown on good fertile ground, but the birds come and they quickly snatch it away. And I just have a sense in my heart that that isn't a risk for, for you today. This is a safe place in which to hear the word of God. The presence of God here is so tangible, so wonderful. We're so blessed that as a church, we we host his presence, that he is here. So no, no bird, no demon is going to come and steal away the, the seed that is planted in your heart. The only thing you need to be careful about is that you don't let the, the weeds grow up and strangle the growth. And those weeds are the cares of life. So can I ask you today to park the cares of life, to park your concerns, park your worries. That's what Pierre said last week. The big obstacle to being rich in spiritual life is the anxieties and the cares of the world. Okay, so there we have our title. Lucy, is that a good response? You're saying we need a response, a response to God. And, and I believe to be poured out uh, for his glory is a great response. And this is the, this is the other side of the coin of Pierre's message from last week. The title of his message was Be Rich. And I believe that to be spiritually rich, you, you cannot attain that unless there's an element of, of pouring out in your life. Now, this is a journey. It's a progression. It's not binary. You know, you computer guys out there, you know that computer code is written in noughts and ones. It's that they call it binary. Don't ask me any more questions about that. But, um, you know, salvation is binary. You're either saved or you're not saved. But in the journey of life, the journey of being poured out, it's day by day growing from glory to glory. And we're all on that journey. So when I speak about being poured out, it's not something that you, it's black or white. You either are or you aren't. We all on that journey. And I want to encourage you to embrace that as a journey. If you don't feel like you've started on that journey, then maybe, maybe this is the day to be started. So... As I said, it's the flip side of, of um, being rich. You cannot be truly rich unless you are poured out. And you cannot begin to be poured out until you are rich inside. Until you have received 
from God. And the Bible's full of verses about him pouring himself into us. So Paul writing to Titus, for instance, says that we are saved um, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of his Holy Spirit, whom he, the Father, poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So you cannot begin to be poured out as a person until you've received from him. And then Paul, writing in, in Romans, he says, um, he says that God has poured out his love into our hearts. So when, when we have the Holy Spirit, when we have the love of God, then we can begin to be poured out as people. I like to say that the Christian life is about believing and just love the word, Lucy, that you brought. Because believing is the essence of where we start. It's about believing and receiving and then overflowing or being poured out. But you can't overflow until you fill up inside. So, you know, Psalm 23, David praying, my cup runs over. That's where the Father wants us to be. So, Pierre used as his anchor scripture last week, uh, Paul writing to Timothy in the first letter, chapter 6. And effectively, the essence was this. God gives us richly all things to enjoy. Hallelujah. God gives us richly all things to enjoy so that we may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. That was the essence of the word last week. It's about being rich. How do you get there? You receive from the Father who richly gives us. So we're going to take a a bit of a journey. We're going to talk about being poured out this morning. And just one thing I want to say, Philippa had a word this morning that uh, the word was attainable. And I just want to say that this is so attainable for each one of us. This life, the supernatural life of being filled with joy, being filled with peace, experiencing what it is to partner with God, to work with Him, to experience the life-giving force of heaven working through you and in you. And if, if you have that, if you have God um, for you, then all of this is attainable. Okay, so we approach this message with a great sense of hope. In our hearts. Okay, so I want to go to my, my first scripture this morning and talk about the example of, of Paul in, um, in his second letter to Timothy. He said, I, I think this was the last letter that he wrote. So he's in, he's in prison in Rome. This is just before he's going to be executed. And he says, even now, I, I know that I am being poured out as a drink offering. So Paul is a, like, I mean, it's a fairly intimidating example, let's be honest. You know, you talk about being poured out. You know, Paul is... You know, even, even atheistic uh, historians recognize that he's one of the greatest people, most influential people to ever, to, ever to have lived. So, so I said, yes, this is a journey, okay? So when you like Paul, then you've kind of got there. I'm nowhere close to there. <laughs> All right, so Paul said he's, he's being poured out as a drink offering. And if we go to the next one, he then gives a, a whole b- bunch of examples. He tells a little bit of his life story. And by the way, I'm going to wrap quite a bit of kind of my story uh, and I, I think I'm going to be quite transparent in talking about my story, about being poured out and being giving. And I hope that's going to ring true with, with you as well. So I think this is in Second Corinthians. He talks about some of the stuff that he's been through. Now, just let, let's just go through this slowly. And you think, how many of these experiences have I experienced? Okay, labors, I, I can tick that one. Uh, I, w- I left home at five o'clock three times this morning to beat the traffic to get into Cape Town. I felt like I was laboring. I know Pete does it every morning. He's a hero, <laughs> but he's younger than me. <laughs> okay, so labors I can tick. Imprisonment, sure, fortunately not. Countless beatings, often near death, 
Five times at the hands of the Jews, he received the 40 lashes, less one. Okay, fortunately, none of us hopefully have done that. Three times he was beaten with rods. Next one. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift in in sea. I mean, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, that I haven't had to go through this. On frequent journeys, okay, take that one. Philippa will tell you I do that a little bit too much. I do some journeys, work, tambalicha, church, you know, that kind of takes me on journeys. In danger from rivers, robbers, my own people, please, I don't want to feel like I'm in danger from anybody here. Okay, okay next one. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city. Okay, we moved from Joburg down to the Cape eight years ago, so we don't feel like we're that exposed anymore. Uh, Danger in the wilderness, danger at sea from false brothers, none of you here today. In toil, okay, half tick and hardship. I, I once, I knew someone who said, you know, the Christian life, there's not supposed to be any toil. You know, you're not supposed to work hard. Mm, Not sure about that. Okay, through many a sleepless night. Okay, Rion, I was talking to Rion earlier this morning, not looking forward to a December full of sleepless nights, those of you that have got small kids. Uh, In hunger and thirst, I don't do hunger and thirst very well. Okay, next one. Uh, Often without food and cold exposure. So a lot of those things, most of those things, I don't get to experience at all. This one is interesting. Apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Sometimes there can be a holy anxiety in our lives. Sometimes God can give us something that kind of gnaws away and it keeps us focused and it keeps us praying and it keeps us being energized uh, as part of what he's called us to do. But this is interesting and I want to tell you, and, and this, is, this is something I can say joyfully, I have no, okay, I've only got one church. <laughs> Um, I have no anxiety about this church. As, as, as serving as a leader in this church, I have no anxiety um, about this church, about its leadership, about its strategic direction, about its finances. Can I just share a little bit, though, that I do have some anxiety for the other great passion in my life, which is Tembelicha Foundation. I'll talk about that a little bit. So that's something I carry a little bit. So I'm the treasurer. I think, you know, I kind of have a my like, worst night, nightmare is to is to think, you know, I might have to lay people off because we don't have enough money, because we can't fund our projects. So, you know, that's something that, you know, that, that's something that takes me on, you know, visits to Texas to go and like kind of ring the bell and knock on the door and say, guys, we need partners. Anyway, that's just, that's just uh, for free. I'm sharing that. Um, and, um, okay, so this is the great example of Paul. He talks about being poured out. And now if we flip over to the Old Testament, we talk about uh, a, great, um, a great prophetic promise, but one that comes with a condition. And this is one of my all-time favorite scriptures from Isaiah chapter 58. And, and by the way, when I, I said, I listened to, to, to Pierre's message twice this week. And so as he's, as he's talking and he says, I'm going to Isaiah 58, I'm like, as I'm in the car listening on the podcast, I'm like, no, don't use my scripture. And then he said, Acts 4, no, that's, I want to use that one as well. So, um, but he didn't quite use the same verse. So anyway, but this is from Isaiah 58. Okay, we're going to have to flip through a couple of slides again. Um, so this, no, we don't just go back, go back one. Okay, but it starts off with if. Um, and Helena, also you were saying, earlier so if my people there's quite a few ifs in the bible there's a lot of promise and a lot of blessing that's not automatic it comes with conditions 
And, you know, he gave his life for us, but sometimes he asks that before we get to experience the full benefits of that eternal, abundant life, that we give back to him. So, so this is uh, Isaiah 58 verse 10. I've, I'd often read Isaiah 58 verse 11, memorized that scripture for years and years and years. And it's strange how you, sometimes you don't read the verse that's just before. So Isaiah 58 verse 11 says, and God will guide you continually, will get there, and satisfy your soul in droughts and strengthen your, I mean, it's all this wonderful stuff. But just dial back one, and Isaiah 58 verse 10 starts with an if. So it says, if you pour yourself out for the hungry. So Pierre last week spoke about a food bank and about how it's our hearts as a church to, to be involved in ministering to the hungry in a very physical sense. But there's so much more to this word. We're talking about people that are hungry for hope, hungry for teaching, hungry for encouragement, for companionship, for friendship, for emotional healing, for discipleship. And, you know, every single one of us can be involved in being poured out to the hungry. So if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy, satisfy the desire of the afflicted soul, if you, so, so if and then then, then your light shall arise in the darkness and then your gloom shall be like the midday sun. And can I just touch on this word gloom? Because in this day and age, you know, research shows, you know, between one in three and one in four people deal with some kind of um, mental illness, depression. Uh, so I haven't dug into the research a lot, so I can't say this, that, and the next thing. But this is what I understand. That means that, you know, a lot of us in this church, in our church family as well, we, we, we deal with that. And I just find it curious, this word gloom. Because, you know, Paul speaking to the Ephesian leaders, the elders in, in Acts, he reminds them, he said, truly, it's true what Jesus said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And I wonder if as part of our 21st century kind of self-absorbed, self-focused living, and so this is not supposed to be condemnatory at all, but, you know, we, we do live a more selfish life, I guess, than, well, let's say the Apostle Paul, just to use an easy example. But this word about, he says, then your gloom, shall be like the noonday sun. And it it just, I have the sense that if we start living lives that are less selfish, that are more focused on other people, that that some of that gloom may lift. And that that gloom will become like the noonday sun. Let's carry on rolling. Okay, then, so so then, um, stuck for words here. So then the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones and you shall be like a watered, like a well-watered garden and like a spring, like a fountain whose waters never run dry. And those from among you, and this kind of comes back to the, the parable of, of the, the sower and the seeds. We, we get to choose what is the harvest. It says those from among you shall rebuild the old waste places or shall rebuild the ancient ruins, another, another translation says. And I want that in my life. I'm so excited about what's happened in Zimbabwe in the last week and a half. You know, Zimbabwe's kind of um, national symbol is the Zimbabwe ruins. And after 37 years of being ruled by 
an African big man that became a dictator who, if I can be completely blunt, you know, turned into the embodiment of evil. But God has delivered that country from evil. I, I can't comment about what comes next, the guy that's replaced him. But, you know, in Zimbabwe, where, you know, they're, they're kind of one of the major tourist attractions is the Zimbabwe ruins. There's such a sense of hope that God will, through the church, will begin a process of rebuilding the ancient ruins and restoring, the stre- restoring streets to dwell in. If we carry on a little bit. So it will be like a water garden, spring of water, rebuild the ancient ruins. A little bit more. And you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. There was a word this morning, um, and, and we'll come back to this again, about, about our vision being a multi-generational one. So you'll raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. You know, there's a part of me, just like I said, even atheistic, God-hating historians will say of the Apostle Paul, one of the most influential men ever to have lived because he poured himself out to such a great extent. You know, there's a part of me, you know, when I'm in, when I'm in heaven one day, I want to look back and I want to say, I was a part of building something. And I want to be called the restorer of streets to dwell in, the, re- the repairer of the breach, that I was involved, that God used me to reconcile, not just people, but, but communities to him and to his purpose. So all of this, all of this, is part of God's promise to us. It's attainable. It's available. But it says those from among you. Because some of us will choose. will say, I want that. I choose to be poured out. I choose to, that, that conditional promise. I choose to be on the positive side of if. But some won't. So it's my prayer that as many of us as possible will say, that's going to be me. So it'll be many of us from among us. All right, so great promise, and this is really a, a wonderful scripture that I encourage you to, to meditate on, Isaiah 58, 10 to 12. If you are poured out for the hungry, if you are poured out for the hungry, then God can do special things in your life. Let's flip back to the New Testament, to First um, John, and um, you know, I said I'd be sharing a little bit about kind of my understanding of giving and generosity. Um, so in, in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, so we've got John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. And then there's 1 John three sixteen that talks about what we do with this eternal and abundant life that God has given us. This is how we know what love is, that he poured out his life for us so we also should pour out our lives for the brethren. But if somebody has this world's goods, okay, that's me. I've got this world's goods in abundance. If someone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes up his heart to him, then how, how does the love of God abide in him? If you shut up your heart to a brother, how is it? How can it be that the love of God lives in your heart? And then he says, little children, um, I urge you, let your love not be in, just in word and in talk, but in deed and in truth. Now, I just want to talk to this a little bit, because twice he says, uh, he talks about brothers, he talks about brethren, he talks about spiritual family. So he says, 
Jesus poured out his life for us, so we should pour out our lives for the brethren. And he says, if you see a brother in need, and, um, and you shut up your heart, but it speaks about a brother. Now, I want to say, when, when I drive up to a traffic light, and I see someone with a, a cardboard sign, um, there's no turmoil in my heart. I may, I may wind down my window, not wind down my window, I may press the button. Um, when we used to go, sometimes we'd go on holiday and you hire a car and the kids would get so excited about these windy, windy <laughs> windows. It's like, wow, this is like a really cool car. <laughs> okay, so press the button. So I may, I may engage in conversation, look the person in the eye, but like pretty much never. I never give money to someone like that. So you may, cool, but I'm not in relationship with that person. That person, so apart from the fact that I know that 95, and through, you know, through our experience with Tembelicha, et cetera, I know that, you know, look, a whole bunch of these people, they've got dependency needs or addictions, and, you know, you're not really necessarily helping. I'm, I'm not saying that you absolutely never can't, you know, if God moves you to do that. I'm just saying it doesn't happen with me. So, you know, I may engage, but that person's not a brother. You know, I, I, I'm seeing someone in need. Can, can you recognize there's someone in need that I'm, being, I'm encountering? But this is not someone that's in kind of my frame of reference that I'm in relationship with that I can say, this is somebody that I, I know and I love and I trust and I'm going to give. But when my brother um, in the Eastern Cape who's running a great NGO on the sniff of an oil rag and occasionally needs stuff, when he says to me, I need this for this, that, and the next thing, I'm there for him. Or when, when, my, when my brother, who's running a church in the township, his, his car breaks down and, and he needs some help to fix his car, then I'm there. You know, that's something that, that I want to be involved in and I want to help. And when, when my brother needs that, that I, you know, I see the purpose of God in his life and, I, uh, and I'm just so connected with him. When he needs money to to do his driver's license, which involves hiring a car, no, 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 no. You know, and then that's the kind of thing that I want to invest in, okay? So th- does that help a little bit? Is that, so I think, you know, we're surrounded in this world in which we live by need. Find, find the brother, find the sister, find the person, many people in the church that you're connected with, that you can partner with, that you can be involved in helping. Okay. Um, and then one last scripture, and this is from uh, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13. Um, and I'm just, just going to ask you to read this. Okay, so for the benefit of the podcast, for who, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not answered okay so qualification old testament proverbs you know this is not something that we necessarily draw doctrine from but there's a lot of wisdom in the book of proverbs and i think that this is an important biblical principle and i ask myself the question you know how many times in the history of nations in the history of our own lives have we got together you can kind of you can put this in a particular situation where a group of people, let's say white, wealthy, middle class, far away, disconnected 
from the needs, from the aspirations, from the cry of the afflicted soul, to go back to Isaiah 58, far away from that. And we cried out to God. And, you know, we asked God for salvation in our nation. We've asked God for healing in our bodies. We've asked God for breakthrough on our finance. But something's been missing. We haven't been connected to, to people that are in our spiritual family that may live on the other side of the highway. And I just wonder to what extent does that stunt constrain the effectiveness of our prayers? I think this speaks to nations and I think this speaks to us. And it makes me ask the question. So underline questions I ask myself. You can ask these questions as well. I'm just saying this is the example that, that, that uh, the question that I ask myself. Am I giving enough? What more can I do? You know, when I compare my, my life to that of the Apostle Paul, which is <laughs> then you're on a hiding to nothing, then, you know, I look at what I've got and, and I say, you know, am I doing enough? But the encouraging thing is we're, we're on this journey. So I can say, because we... We give, when I say we give, so I get a text message once a month from my bank to say money's come into my account. And the starting point on any journey of generosity, I believe, on any journey of being poured out, is that when you, when you see that in your bank account or when you get the text message, that you say, Lord, everything that I have, everything that I earn, everything that I am, belongs to you so you know, you know when the money goes off my bank account you know I, I i'm not necessarily thinking about it you know i don't know exactly what time it happens money goes boom 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 off your bank account but when i get that text message that's when i kind of make that declaration and um anyway so so we we give somewhere between 30 and 35 percent of our income um, but when I say give, it's like that's a practical distribution because, because really what I'm saying, to, what we say to the Lord is everything that we have, we give to you. But some of that gets used at Woolies. Some of that gets used on really nice holidays. Some of that gets used on living in a beautiful home. But some of that gets used um, to be sown into the kingdom of God. Not, not that investing in my children's education is not investing in the kingdom of God. Not that investing in, in a new set of curtains or that can also be. We never do, we never do new curtains. That's why I chose that example. <laughs> Get blinds. They last much longer. <laughs> anyway, so, okay, so, so there, I mean, that is, so what I've just said, is, you know, I'm, I'm being a little bit transparent in, in our own giving, our journey of generosity. And I want to give you some biblical justification for my doing this from Acts chapter 4. So if we go to Acts chapter 4, which is this famous, famous scripture about how the New Testament church gave up so much. Um, and we talk specifically about the example of Barnabas. Okay, so this is from Acts chapter 4. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, huge hero in the Bible. And this is the guy that went and fetched the apostle Paul, Saul, as he was then. You know, the rest of the church was terrified of engaging with Saul. And Barnabas, he went and got Saul, who became Paul. And he discipled him. And he kind of then connected him and all the rest. And then he went on missionary journeys, etc., etc. Such a great guy. Sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So twice it said that, it says what they did was they did it in a very public way. They sold their lands, they sold their properties, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. And, you know, I grew up in church hearing you know, Jesus, this, this was how it was taught. Jesus taught that don't let your left hand know what the right hand is doing when it comes to giving money. Anyone heard that before? Okay. Um, and what I really believe is Jesus is talking, because he was addressing the Pharisees, he was addressing people that, that boasted about the giving. And they lived in a very, in a society, in a religious culture which valued prosperity, material prosperity. So if you were, if you were, um, a person of wealth, then you were respected in the Jewish community. I, I'm not sure that it's changed. So, but, but the thing was, is that in that culture, to be wealthy was to be blessed by God, okay? which is something that we wouldn't necessarily agree with entirely today. But, so he was addressing the motivation of the heart. And when I read this in Acts chapter 4 again, I just saw that there's, there's a greater transparency. And you know, in my life, how do I show you that, that, that I'm a, Hebrews 10 says, um, stir one another up to love and good deeds. So how do we do that if all of our giving is done in the darkness? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, let your light so shine that, that they may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. So I think sometimes we've got the kind of the, the, the whole secrecy thing with giving i think we've taken that a little bit overboard and what i want to do today is share a little bit more about you know how we give how how we walk this journey of being poured out this journey of generosity and as i said so at the moment you know we 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 have we have a like a big target for how much we want to give to the church to tembalicha to the mission field i'll get onto some of that practical application in a little while so you know, we have a target, and, and we, I mean, we're not like hugely precise about this kind of thing either. But at the moment, we're giving about 30 to 35% of our income into the kingdom. Um, and I want, I want to get to 50%. You know, I want to get to the point where I'm giving more and more because God's given me so much. I, I live and work and operate in the belly of the capitalist beast, you know, which, which, you know, given the kind of work that I put in, I think pays me a lot of money. It pays me too much. So, you know, I, th- this is part of the blessing in my life that I get to give. So this is where I am, but I'm wanting to go further. And the journey starts with making a decision and saying, Lord, everything that I've got is yours. What I want to do is I want to contrast here also, uh, I've called this little section, two men with houses. So there was Barnabas. And just to give you a little bit more context, so this happened in about... This, this would have happened shortly after Jesus' resurrection and Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came. So anyone want to have a guess at roughly what year this was? A.D. 30? Yeah, 
I'm going to go for a, a, a closer period of time to when, after Jesus was, G- Jesus died in what year? AD 30. What year was Jesus born in? Don't say naught BC. We, we, Herod was king when, when, Jesus, uh, when Jesus was born and when the wise men came. And Herod died in 4 BC. And the last year of his life he spent uh, somewhere else, not in Jerusalem. So we reckon Jesus, Jesus was born either 6 or 7 BC and he died in, in AD 30. And this would have happened fairly recently afterwards. Now, my friend Roger's sitting there real estate agent, maybe some of you are involved in real estate. Now, what would you have thought would have been the, the outlook for the housing market in Jerusalem in about 80, 31, 32, 35? You know, the city's been around for a good couple of thousand years. They've rebuilt the temple. It's the capital in the area. But what you don't know is in AD 70, the Romans are going to completely flatten the city of Jerusalem. Okay, historical fact, that's what happened. So, you know, it's, I'm just providing some historical context. So what we read in Acts chapter 4 is that people sold their lands and their houses. I'm going to talk about some other guys' houses that didn't sell their houses in a moment. They lived in other cities. But if you were asking God in AD 35, you know, you know should I be having a multi-generational vision for my house? Should I be thinking my children, my grandchildren are going to live in this house in which I grew up? Then the answer was going to be no. <laughs> Because the house is going to be flattened. And in fact, you know, the church, by and large, left Jerusalem before the Romans invaded. Well, not invaded because they were really in control, but there was a, they responded to a Jewish revolt. Okay, I'm getting, getting a little bit of a sidetrack here in history. But basically, there was huge incentive to get the Christian church out of Jerusalem. So it's much easier to leave your hometown when you don't have a home to live in anymore. And then your home was going to get destroyed. So there is some historical context which perhaps gave extra incentive to be selling up. So let's talk about another man with a house. And, um, and that was so from uh, the book of Philemon or Philemon. And um, Paul writes to him and he says, he says a couple of things. He talks about the church in your house and then he says, prepare a guest room for me. So my point here is to say that it's, it's okay to have a house, but use it for the kingdom of God. Okay? So it's just because in Acts chapter 4 it says they all sold their houses because they lived in a town that was going to get destroyed, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that all of you need to sell your house. So, and the two other things, there's also Prisca and Aquila and Gaius in Romans chapter 16. In fact, Romans chapter 16, um, at, towards the end, Paul says, and I also send greetings from, from Gaius, who is my host and is the host of the whole church. So that was, he lived in a big house. So I, I live in a big house. I like that scripture. It gives me justification to enjoy my home. <laughs> All right. Okay, so... Just wrapping up, so we talk about uh, two men with houses, and uh, so you've got this example of Barnabas. The, the, the point about Barnabas is that, you know, in their hearts, they gave up everything. So just because we look at the life of Philemon or Gaius or Prisca and Aquila, they didn't sell their houses. But I believe in their hearts, they were still saying, Lord, everything that I have is yours. I give it all to you. Okay. Next one. Okay, it's just some practical advice on giving. Um, Pierre said last week, he said, it starts with, the, the, the beginning of the journey is the tithe. And sometimes we find that 
um, a little bit intimidating. In this church, we like to say we're a tithing church. The motivation or the, 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 the scriptural justification for that is the, the frequent exhortation in the New Testament to give on a basis that is proportionate, sacrificial, um, uh, that, is, that is generous, that is, uh, that is regular, etc. And also the example of Abraham. But So tithe means 10%. But if you feel that that's you know, too intimidating as the first hurdle on, on the journey, then, then start with 1%. But start with your faith. Start somewhere. So you know, we believe in this church about giving to your local church. We also believe in giving to missions. Uh, we talk about the, you know, the India mission. I always like to say you know, we, we talk about how, how close we are to our goal. So we're trying to raise 300,000 rand. And I think the update this week is we're close to 250. But I like to know how many people give. So if we've got 200 families, 200 households in our church, how many of us are involved? Because you know, in this church, we don't want your money. We want your faith. That's always the essence. And the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. This is something that I really believe in. So you know, when we do a mission trip, you know, we want everybody to be involved. And we know we've got your prayers and your faith. When you give us your cash. And you know, from Philippa and my point of view, every mission this, this church does, we want to be involved in. So if you're going anywhere, so this is like blank check moment. <laughs> if you're going on a mission, come and ask us, because we'll give you something, because we want to be involved. We don't want to miss out on any mission trip that this church sends out. Okay. Give to the big five. The big five means the widow, the orphan, the poor. The oppressed or the voiceless, and then the refugee, stranger, the alien, and your, the stranger. So these are all people, and this is something that Tembelicha stands for. And, you know, there's so much more that, that we can do as a church in partnership with Tembelicha. I would specifically like us to be involved in partnering much more, in particular with one of our projects with Mama Temba. Now, don't be mad at me, Simone. Marla, we've got lots of Tembelicha project managers here. But Mama Temba is a project that was, a Tembelicha project that was birthed in this house. We've got so many moms that are involved in, in, in ministering in, in Mama Temba, and that's something that I'd like us to be involved more in. And then the last one is give to each other. But now I want to reference this to the comment that I made earlier about not being disconnected from the poor. Because giving to each other and just taking care of your spiritual family, when we're all in one homogenous group, you know, if it be white, middle class, urban, you know, we need to go outside the boundaries. You know, we need to connect. And I would really like you to be intentional in, and this is why we as a church, as Every Nation, Somerset West, are so intentional about partnering with Zola and now increasingly with the Every Nation Church in Guguletu. And there's great opportunity for everybody to be more involved and to connect more with brothers and sisters who are in our spiritual family, part of our church movement, that don't have as much, and to be involved in giving to each other. So I want to wrap it there. I want to say that this is something that I really believe in. Um, This is kind of like my life message, I guess, is that I really believe that in order to live this abundant life, to believe, to, to live a life that is overflowing, that is, 
where, where, you, where you can really enjoy what God's given you to enjoy. Because I really believe that. God's given me my home. God's given me what's in my home to enjoy. But it's also for overflow. And I really believe that when we are poured out, that's when we live an abundant, full life. That's when we experience a joy, a hope, a sense of fulfillment and purpose, something that often just dusts away the cobwebs of mediocrity, that gloom that's in our lives. So my encouragement to you today is be poured out. Start the journey of being poured out with Jesus. Make that decision in your heart. Lord, everything that I've got um, is yours. And just you know, the final slide. So, you know, we always like to say, think about your giving, pray about your giving, and then just start. Start giving. And as we always like to say in this church, when you give, you give with faith. You wrap your giving up in love and give joyfully. Um, but start the journey because it's a great journey to walk on. And I'll close it there.